Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. My name is Alejandro Rojas and I will be your host for this morning or this evening. It could be the middle of the night because the beauty of my pre-recorded podcast is that you can listen to it at your leisure. So that's pretty nice. But um, I got Baldy over here. I got Martin Baldy Willis helping me with the news uh, today again as usual, which is always a pleasure. Hey there, how you doing? Hey. Hey. I'm here. I'm bald and I'm cold even in warm weather. And just to remind people, you didn't go bald to be cool. I mean, that has been, it sounds like a, a positive kind of consequence, unexpected, uh, from why you did go bald. Yeah. Well, you know, at, so far for kids with cancer and people are still donating it's up to $1243 just All right. to shave my head i can't believe it uh-huh and yeah. then you feel and you're feeling good you're feeling cool and and everything um now that you've done it right i that, that's true except you know my my son the other day looked at looked at me and he said nah <laughs> <laughs> great so not everybody's in uh yeah you know, i don't so, know so have you decided are you going to grow it back or not um, you know, I think I'm going to grow, like, some of it back. I'm going to be, like, one of these half-bald, huh. half, yeah. uh, you know. Stubby. I think I'm going to try the short hair, short, very short-shaped hair, but not bald. Huh, interesting. Not the cue ball. Yeah. That's too, uh, you know, that might lead me down the path of uh, Trouble. crime, mm-hmm. you know, so... That's uh, being very – that's making a, a generalization, and there are bald people in the audience, uh, some of which I, I know of, uh, who are going to think that you're insinuating oh. that just because they're bald, they're criminals. No, no. It's just when my head is bald, I think uh, criminally – you know, criminal thoughts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Criminal yeah. mind. That's yeah. funny. Well, interesting. Yeah, you think you feel like a, a bad mofo strutting yeah, around. Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah, looking for – Flying saucers that are easy to steal, like yeah. the one out in uh, yeah. you know, Roswell. Yeah, yeah, or aliens who are looking for trouble, start some trouble. That's right. Hey, yeah. you looking at me, alien? <laughs> yeah, you the little gray fella. You looking at me? Yeah. Cool. You got a problem, Mr. Alien. All right. Well, actually, let's. Uh, how about we talk some UFO news? Well, let me tell you who my sure. guest is. Who I'm really, oh, yeah. really excited about. My guest is Robert Hastings. Um, oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Robert Hastings. I mean, um, I haven't been able to get him to speak at the UFO Congress, and to be honest, and and the reason why is because he speaks at universities. He takes what he does. Right. Very seriously, and it's good that he does because it, that makes his work uh, so very important. But he investigates UFOs and nukes, and he deals with, um, you know, retired military witnesses. Um, he t- 
to him, his credibility is paramount, and I'm sure that's why he's been able to get so many high-level witnesses uh, like he has. And he's just recently released a documentary that everyone should go see because I think this is one of the most important films ever in this field. And uh, you could go to Vimeo and watch it for five bucks or download it or, you know, buy it so you have it forever for $10. And it is money well spent. There's no doubt whatsoever uh, that uh, it's money well spent because these are some of some people you've never heard of before, or never seen before. But these are military witnesses saying they worked at nuclear facilities and they saw ufos and often these ufos somehow interacted with the nuclear warheads and at sometimes well we'll talk to robert about that but uh yeah so that i'm really excited happy to have him on the show again and uh his documentary is very good yeah interesting yeah he's a solid uh real solid guy and mm -hmm. um yeah someone contacted me and we can talk off air that said they have mm. new information mm. uh documents so uh i'll pass that along to you yeah. uh, in regards to uh one of the uh, nuclear bases oh interesting yeah okay yeah. i mean i don't know if it's true or not but yeah. uh, you know it's worth looking into yeah so we'll talk to robert in just a few minutes uh very excited about that uh before that there's a lot of great news in uh the news ufo news and i want to hear what do you think what what do you what do you got your uh, eyes on these days what's the ufo news you want to talk about well, you know how I I like retro stuff, so mm -hmm. I I want to I like these old cases that uh, Roger Marsh is uh, writing about these mm -hmm. old MUFON cases because you know some of them are really I don't know where he how far he dig he digs to uh, find these stories, but yeah, another great one um, because this one involves a beam of light into uh, the witness vehicle, and I've heard that, and I'm sure you've heard that mm -hmm. um, many times. This one happened back. Um, 1966 or seven, they couldn't quite remember. Uh, and this was in Kansas City. It was in Clearwater, Kansas City, which is just outside of Wichita. And uh, they were driving through, and they noticed a black object hovering above uh, the power lines uh, along the uh, train uh, track. And the witness said that it had small windows and was lit up on the inside. And that's not the first time I've heard that either. <clears throat> so, pardon me, all three family members uh, reacted about the same, wondering what the heck it was, and the object started to travel, and the direction of their car flew right over the car and hovered in front of the car, uh, closest to the passenger side. So it must have been kind of, uh, they must have been horrified. And here's a quote right here. My brother had either stopped the car or it stopped on its own, and there was a very bright yellow beam of light that was directed at the car and lit up the inside. We all sat very still, didn't move until I looked at my brother and said, don't just stare, just go. Mm -hmm. So the witness, uh, they studied the object and the beam went away. And there was, I guess, a little door that uh, closed up where the beam must have been coming out of. Hmm. And uh, it took off at a 45 degree angle and dissipated in the air for, I don't know exactly what they mean by that. And then probably um, meant disappeared, huh? Yeah, probably it could be. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a great, great story. And they called the Air Force, and they denied having any knowledge of anything like that. And um, this uh, now woman, this is she's elderly, and she wanted an explanation. She wanted to talk about it. So interesting case. Mm hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. I mean, 
I, we're so lucky to have Roger digging and, and posting these on Open Minds for us. Uh, another one that he did that has co created a little bit of controversy uh, amongst people is this um, Australian Witness Videotapes Triangle UFO. So we posted this. It's an interesting video. Uh, everybody should take a look at it. it. The light does act kind of strange, but in the video, all you really see is a light in the sky. It's jiggling a little bit. This was uh, originally uh, taken at about 8 p.m. on July 15th in 2014. And the uh, light is jiggling, but the person who got the video zoomed in, you know, took some frames of the film and zoomed in and captured what looks like kind of a V-shape of, of lights, a group of lights. Now, my argument was, well, when it's jiggling like that, you know, one light can look like multiple lights because it'll, uh, the effect mm. of the camera, the video will, will do that. We see that all the time. But um, they've come back and argued that, okay, sure, that is an effect that does happen. But uh, repeatedly in these pictures, you see a grouping of lights that look fairly similar in shape. Um, some people like Mark D'Antonio, photo analyst for MUFON, has jumped in and said he thinks it could be a kite because uh, the lights are huh. in that configuration. But uh, it's pretty weird video, so people ought to check that out. But, yeah, that's another uh, interesting Roger Marsh story from this week. Wow. You know, there is – got to say there has to be a lot going on in Australia because, you know, they have like 25 million people in the whole uh, country – and it just seems like there's a lot of reports. There's a lot of interest in UFOs mm -hmm. in Australia. Yeah. I would love to visit Australia. I keep oh, seeing pictures too. because I'm like on Pinterest. It's mostly girls on Pinterest. I know. And then I do girly <laughs> stuff because I post pictures of like interiors, you know, because I do real estate on the side. So I do yeah. kitchens and stuff like that. And I also post animals and just like I'm in there with the girls like, oh, that's so cute. Look at this cute puppy. So um, but I'm also looking at um, pictures from, you know, trips and stuff like that because I like to post mine. And um, man, there's some beautiful places in Australia. You know who really? goes out there a lot and does UFO talks is Ben Hansen. Uh, yeah, that's right. I yeah. had he was there for almost a month, wasn't he, this year? Yeah, so he's really tapped into this fascination that Australian people have with UFOs. And uh, so he does these tours doing UFO talks out there. Um, I think – and recently, uh, periodically, once in a while, he takes Travis Walton out there with him so he can talk to them. But, uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. You're right. They're really into it. But uh, And I know – I think you do too, probably. We have Australian listeners. So, yeah, Huge that's amount. a lot going yeah. on out there. Yeah, they're like the second largest, second or third largest country, according to Google Analytics, uh, at least on my website every month. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Which is amazing for such yeah. a small, uh, you know, small amount of people. Yep. Love Australia. In fact, my boss is going to be there soon, the owner of Open Minds. He's oh. on a, a Asian cruise right now, and it ends in Australia, and it's going to be ending in the next few days here, so he's going to be there soon. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's really a place I've always wanted to go. It's just yep. that in New Zealand, you know, it's just beautiful uh, landscape yeah. and interesting. And then the center part of Australia itself uh, is pretty barren. But yeah, uh, that's I, I think it's like 90 some odd percent of the yeah. uh, population lives along the coast. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Looks like a beautiful coast. I have three more stories to talk about, so I guess oh, we ought to here. move along. Move. Yeah. Because I really want to mention these stories because I think they're really important. First of all, you talked about historical sightings. This is really cool. So we had Linda Zimmerman. She does talks on UFOs in New York, uh, especially mm -hmm. the Hudson Valley is what she specializes in. She's an author. She's actually a, like a chemist by a profession, but she writes about paranormal topics. She was here last weekend or the weekend, yeah, weekend before last, really, this being Monday, um, to speak at the local MUFON group, Arizona MUFON. So it was great to see her again, and her talk was really cool. And in order to study the Hudson Valley, she looked through tons of microfish for newspapers. And when she talked in Phoenix, she brought some clippings from sightings in Phoenix. And what was interesting is some of these clippings were from March, uh, which, of course, if people know, the famous Phoenix Lights incident, right. uh, probably the largest mass UFO sighting, happened in on March 13, 1997. These news clippings were from 1909. Wow. Yeah, really cool. So she found some other ones from, like, 1917, I think, and 1918. And uh, she she found that everybody was so excited about him at this MUFON meeting that she wrote an article for us on Open Minds uh, and gave us some of those news clippings. So this is a really cool uh, article. She calls it the first Phoenix Lights question mark, and uh, it's on the site. So check that out. These really interesting sightings um, from of strange lights because of course the term UFO wasn't around back then. But uh, from old newspapers from the turn of the century, essentially, pretty cool stuff. Now, what did they try to, you know, explain that these things were, or did they? They didn't know essentially. Uh, and one of them, they felt that it was Venus. And of course, uh, the what's his name, the um, skeptic who's always kind of milling around. Uh, uh, he's actually kind of a, a, a neat guy, but he's a skeptic, skeptic. Uh, he just because one of the stories said it was probably Venus, he's like, ah, they're they're all Venus. But uh, but yeah, one of them they felt it was Venus because they they found Venus was in the area at the time, but uh, not the rest of them. And well, and another one were probably like lights shining. Oh no no, they they just couldn't discover most of them. They didn't, they weren't yeah. sure. So they are really interesting. Um, they call them things like will o wisp lights or strange lights so yeah really cool stories yeah great i can't i will be reading that yep. i really like have interest in the second to the last one i want to talk to you about is hillary clinton again talking about ufos but uh, what's interesting about this she, this was in east harlem she sat down with a, a local uh, morning show called power 105 breakfast club and charlemagne the god that's what he goes by one of the djs asked her about, are you really going to release UFO information? And one of the other DJs kind of laughed. He said, no. She said she was going to. And he's like, okay, really? And she said, yeah, I'm going to try. And uh, then the other host, who's, who's a woman, she said she jumps in and she says, you know, Charlemagne has been a attacked by aliens. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, I've seen UFOs. And she said, no, you were attacked. And he said, well, I think I may have been abducted a couple times. So he thinks he's wow. been abducted. So... Uh, essentially, she said what she's saying before, that she's going to try to release information, but if uh, national security, she still says, you know, if it's a national security issue and they don't let me release them, then I won't be able to, but uh, I am going to look into it. But uh, just kind of interesting that uh, I think 
the aspect of this story that's interesting is that, you know, this guy a, a, believes he's an abductee asking her about UFOs. Wow. And are you saying that the the co-host or whatever is the one that, you know, told this person to talk about it? Uh, no, one of the co-hosts um, talked about it. I see. And uh -huh. one of the other co-hosts was like, you know, kind of like, why are you bringing up UFOs with Hillary Clinton? And then <laughs> so he had to say, well, it's because yeah. she's, she's talked about it. And um, so, yeah, so it it uh, it was a uh, interesting because you can they put it up on YouTube so you can watch it there on our story. But the last one I want to talk about, and uh, I had first been made aware of this software's existence and development from the Black Vault because John Greenwald was helping to promote it. However, the guy who's made this software has now kind of made his own website and gone full force with it and he sent me an email that he has a website up and now he's really pushing for to get this out there and I think this is a potential game changer. I think this is really important. Um, two really important things, Robert Hastings' video and this. It's a UFO detector. It's UFO detector software. So he's got a short video, three minutes. Uh, I think it's even less than three minutes that shows you how to install and use his software. And this software is super smart. So what you do is you've got your webcam, you point it out your window at the sky, at then you install this software. When you install this software, it brings up the view that your webcam sees. You can make a square in the sky of the section of the sky you want it to look at. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got trees and the tops of houses, you don't want it to look at that stuff. You want it to watch the sky. So you make a square to make it watch the sky. So what it'll do is while you're gone, it'll monitor that area. If anything, if it detects any movement, it'll record that movement. And then it will analyze that movement. And if it notices, nope, that's a plane, it'll, re it'll delete that video. Uh, and so it won't even take up your storage and everything. And it's smart enough to do that. And in fact, what it, it, it can learn. So what you do is you get home, you look through the videos that it's recorded. And let's say one of them is a bird. You tag it as something that's not something you want it to record and it won't record similar shapes again hmm. so wow. uh, I think this is really cool it has at this guy's in the UK there's a few people who have used it what's really cool too is astronomical like objects it'll capture too so they've got a really cool video of like a shooting star a meteorite so I'm sure people will be able to catch lots of those I mean for that alone this software is worth setting up but they have gotten a few strange, very short videos of strange lights, and uh, he, uh, I asked him if he would put those on YouTube so I can embed them in my story, which I did. So my story, you can see some of these UFO videos and see what you think. But uh, he makes a note that you know he he posts these videos in full resolution on his website. And that's what's important about his website is so you can go look at those videos because he notes that when it compresses in YouTube, it doesn't look the same. It can't, it's harder to see, but uh, that's why he feels it's more important that you come to his website and look at the full resolution video uh, so you could see the objects better. And then it's also a community where you can discuss where people like Mark D'Antonio can go in and say, well, you know, I think it's this or I think it's that. And people can kind of analyze these videos uh, like they do at our Open Mind GFO Group's uh, Facebook forum. So this is exciting. I think this is cool. This then makes the ability 
for all of us to use our computers to start to observe the sky. I think this is a big deal. This is really amazing. And it looks like it's ufoid.net. Yep, ufoid.net is the name of the site. Um, but you can find out all about it at openminds.tv. Excellent. Wow, this is really great. And, you know, the way technology is growing and growing, and then all these people, there's uh, CubeSat, there's uh, mm -hmm. uh, UFO Tog, and uh, also the uh, UFO detector that, um, um, you know, Mark Rodinger and people are involved in, uh, Alex uh, as well, um, Alexander, I can't remember his name. Anyway, there's all these different systems out there now and you know we may get some type of answer whether we like the answer or not mm -hmm. um yeah the way technology is growing we may get some type of answer pretty soon you never know mm -hmm. i'm gonna set one of these up and man i hope i get a ufo flying by flipping off the camera um, <laughs> well, one question i have and maybe you do or do not know is this so you have to keep your you can't let your computer sleep obviously you have to make sure it's on like all the that's a good and question, and I don't know. Uh, that's a great question, actually. But it's one, there's FAQs there, and he has his email address for anybody who has questions. But I'm going to ask him that because I want to install this, and that's a really good point. Um, but, you know, you don't have to freak out because, I mean, one way to get around that is turn off the sleep mode so your computer never goes to sleep. Right. And just mm -hmm. turn off the monitor physically when you leave your computer. Uh, yep. That way it won't get any burn. Um, if you have so, a Mac, you can just, you know, tone it down, um, yeah. you know, turn down the light all the way down. Yeah, so yeah. you could do either of those things. So um, so there's that there's workarounds for that if that's the case. Uh, but, yeah, I can't wait to set this up. I don't have much of a view out of my window right now, but I'm moving here in a couple months, and, and uh, I'm really excited about this. Well, I'm as you know, I'm right on top of a mountain, so I have oh, a – Oh, Perfect. I have a great view. You should the dedicate a machine to this. I was just thinking about it. I also have internet on that side of the house too, so I could do it. Awesome. That would be so cool. You got to do it. I'll bet you'll catch something interesting. Yeah. Now, can you monitor this from an outside computer? Do you know? I don't In other know. Words, if you're, I don't think so, thing. but mm. uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. It doesn't look like it from what I've seen with it. Uh, you have to actually go to the machine and check what it's captured, kind of like a security camera type of thing, but... Um, uh, it does it, you know, webcams these days, you can get them in HD where they've got these uh, great resolution. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and most of your cameras are really have great resolution. So, yeah, really cool stuff. I think this is really cool. And he's got it out there for free. I should let people know. And it's yeah. also open source. So he's like anybody who wants to take the code and improve upon my software and make their own version with their own improvements, feel free to do it because – it's a hobby for him, and he would love uh, outside help. So real uh, a lot of openness there, which is also really cool. That is great. Mm -hmm. Good to hear. Yeah, good stuff. Well, thank you very much for joining us for the news again, unless you have something else, Martin. I'm all washed up here. You're all washed up. Yep, yeah, I've heard say. that. I get so many emails <laughs> telling me that. <laughs> Just kidding. They love you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show again, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Let's go ahead and talk to the other thing uh, that I'm really, really excited about this week. Uh, let's talk to Robert Hastings. 
I am very excited to have on the show Robert Hastings. Hello, Robert. Hi, how are you? Good. So it has been a while. I've had you on the show before, but uh, it's really exciting uh, that you have this documentary done. I appreciate your your interest in helping me publicize it. I think the content is pretty important. I do, too. I think that if anyone who's interested um, in this field, whether it be the people who are way on the fringe or uh, people who are more into the credible uh, nuts and bolts types of areas, really need to see this. I think that uh, you make a, a very compelling argument, as usual, for your area of research, which is uh, UFOs and an interest in nuclear facilities. I uh, really hope this does see, receive widespread attention. Uh, there are nearly 160 veterans who have gone on the record, and some of them have really uh, sacrificed uh, their Oh, let's say they had to put up with ridicule and some other minor harassment for going on the record, but they're talking about some very dramatic incidents uh, that go all the way back to the 1940s involving UFO activity at nuclear weapons sites. Uh, when you consider how powerful these weapons are, how pervasively they impacted the era of the Cold War, and even today, uh, we and the Russians have enough weapons to take out civilization. Uh, the implications of what these gentlemen are revealing in my video uh, is, is stunning. I mean, it's quite uh, important and it impacts all of us in a fundamental way. Mm -hmm. And right now, as uh, relations between the United States and the West and Russia deteriorate, it seems, uh, it's kind of even more um, pertinent and it's, uh, it's it's a scary moment right now, I think, and getting a bit scarier. I think that's right. And uh, I make the point in my book, UFOs and Nukes, uh, was published in 08 and available on my website, ufohastings.com. But even back in 2008, uh, when things looked a little rosier between us and Russia, I was saying, you know, we still have these weapons. And the fact that we're humans and we make mistakes and history tells us that, so many wars have started either by miscalculation or some error of one kind or another. It's, it can't be you know, overstated that uh, we need to get rid of nuclear weapons as quickly as possible. And indeed, based on the testimony of the former military personnel that I've interviewed who directly worked with these weapons, uh, they believe that whoever are in the in the UFOs by their actions of shutting down these missiles and temporarily activating them and so on, um, they're trying to send us a signal that just that, you know, we humans are <laughs> foolish to have these and certainly to threaten to use them and really they need to be eliminated as quickly as possible. That's my take on it as well. And the vast majority of the the, the interviews I've given with these veterans they seem to share my view on this. Mm -hmm. So you do uh, lectures. You've written a book, um, and uh, you've you've done the, the uh, this press conference in 2010 at um, the National Press Club. What then inspired you to make a documentary? 
Well, my thing has always been public education. I, I Again, I'm trying to spread the word, so to speak. Uh, the mainstream media and certainly the government aren't going to voluntarily cover this information, release this to the public. So it's incumbent upon people like myself and the veterans whose testimony I'm promoting to inform the public at a grassroots level. I mean, that's our only option at this point because the powers that be and the mainstream media certainly are not even confronted when they're confronted with dramatic evidence are just looking the other way. So, um, again, in keeping in with my uh, desire to have as large as audience as possible around the world for this very dramatic information. Uh, I think a film, a documentary is really my best bet to maximize the number of people who will ultimately be uh, acquainted with the facts that are now emerging. Uh, I was not in any kind of position to make a documentary film until about three years ago. At that point, however, uh, a very generous man named Jared Tarbell, he's a co-founder of Etsy, uh, Etsy is a homemade goods version of eBay. Uh, Mr. Tarbell recognized the importance of the information I was being provided by these veterans and very graciously agreed to fund the film, which, by the way, at this point is costing him about $150,000. Um, but he believes in what I'm doing. He believes that people have a right to know the facts, just as I do. And so once he came on the scene, I, I for the first time, was in position to think in terms of creating a documentary. Uh, following the publication of my book in 08, uh, since that uh, you know, time frame until about two years ago, I was approached by no less than 13 different television production groups asking me to participate in their documentary, quote unquote documentary on UFOs. And I declined in every case because uh, I would have no control over how my data was presented. I have a very low opinion of television's treatment of UFOs these days. Uh, the the uh, number of very good, very credible documentaries are few and far between, in my opinion. Uh, the ones that are not outright debunking jobs are just so poorly put together, um, combining credible uh, experts with very not credible experts. It's just a mess and a mix that I didn't want to get involved in. So again, I finally had the opportunity to do something uh, that would be 100% credible, factual, documented, and that's the film that we produced. Mm -hmm. That's what gets me. Now, I agree with you when it comes to um, the television these days in this arena. In fact, you cc'd me at least on one or two of the emails uh, responses to the television companies, and you had some pretty strong words for them, but I felt uh, exactly like I felt you were completely accurate, that um, uh, everything you said was fair, and uh, because lo and behold – you know, you are, are telling them that it, it's wrong for them to use the information in the way that they do uh, by taking this credible, careful work, rigorous work often, and then adding all of this this fantasy and this fiction to it. Um, and lo and behold, every when you would tell them no, they would go ahead and, of course, do what you knew they would do and just make stuff up, essentially. Um, I think we all need to remember that television producers and networks 
they're in it for the money. They don't give a shit about the importance of the material that my person such as myself and other credible researchers have put out there. They just know that this is a publicly uh, viable topic. They can sell UFOs no matter what the content of the programs are. So year after year, the people in control are putting out these very marginal uh, very questionable, uh, hit or miss kinds of programming. And there's going to be, frankly, always people who want their moment in the sun. They want to be in the spotlight for their 15 minutes of fame who, uh, promote themselves as more than they are. I mean, nowadays, if someone reads three books, they're a researcher. Well, that's crap, of course. And the production people in Hollywood don't give a damn. Again, they just have a warm body who's claiming to be a UFO expert, and they put several of these people on show after show after show. Um, you know, I do not expect everyone to agree with my point of view uh, as to what the phenomenon is and so on, but if you're utilizing uh, fraudulent documents, documents that have been disproven as legitimate show after show after show. I'm talking about the so-called MJ-12 papers, which have been thoroughly discredited uh, for anyone who's done the, the research and knows their background and origins. And yet you have people talking heads on these shows, promoting those and the bogus information in them as factual, you know, as something that's meaningful and worthy of public attention. All that does is muddy the waters. All that does is confuse the public. There's always going to be gullible people who will buy anything you say on TV about this subject. Uh, they won't spend five minutes researching whether these documents have any legitimacy. And so it's, it's just a big mess. Um, so again, um, I respect the people who are doing credible research. Leslie Kane uh, comes to mind. I don't agree with Nick Pope on a number of things, the, the former Ministry of Defense UFO expert, but at least he presents credible, factually-based um, presentation when he's on television. But there's other people named, uh, for example, Barry Greenwood. Most people have never heard of him. Uh, he, like myself, just will not have anything to do with these bogus productions, and yet he's one of the greatest researchers in the field, Barry Greenwood. You know, people need to check out his work. Mm -hmm. um, so it's frustrating. Um, again, I will have uh, a smaller audience, at least initially, for my film. It's on Vimeo On Demand. Uh, presumably, you'll present a link to your listeners uh, in any case. Um, it's it's going to be available on a small, limited basis for people who are aware of that link and are willing to uh, go to it and, and rent or buy the film. But at the same time, I know that everything I've done and put out there is, is credible and worth, worthy of public attention, and I've not compromised its integrity in any way by going on the networks. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the fears I have from watching the documentary is that um, – it's presented in a similar way in that you show documents and you have people um, who are talking about these in extraordinary cases. And I just hope the audience, and unfortunately a lot of uh, the audience is not sophisticated enough to uh, be able to realize the difference in credibility. Whereas a lot of these shows which put up, like you said, these bogus fake documents and they don't explain the dubious nature of how these documents came about. I know that everything you're showing, uh, like you say, are documents you received from the government uh, through FOIA documents, and you're not using 
people who have read a few books and, and call themselves experts or, or people who have done some amount of research, you're using the actual military witnesses who were there. Um, and I hope people understand that because that's what makes your documentary uh, unique and uh, so important. Well, that's right. And um, again, I just refer to myself as the messenger. Uh, all I'm doing is presenting the testimony of these nuclear missile launch officers, targeting officers, missile maintenance personnel, uh, missile security personnel, persons who I vetted. I have their service records. I know they were at the bases in those squadrons at the time. They said they were. Uh, in some cases, there are multiple uh, veterans, multiple sources for a given case. Uh, the famous cases at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967, for example. In my video, there are a number of sources all talking about UFOs shutting down two separate flights of 10 missiles each uh, over an eight-day period in March of 1967. All that testimony is on the record. There are uh, documents, uh, a letter from the Boeing engineer who headed the investigation of those incidents, who said unequivocally in this letter, which is presented in the, uh, the film, that they could find no reason for the shutdowns. They had no uh, explanation that one might expect would cause that kind of problem. And um, <clears throat> this gentleman, Robert Kaminsky, the engineer, uh, is, is candid enough to say that members in his group who, who were liaison personnel with the Air Force at Malmstrom told him that the rumors, the uh, the talk among the Air Force personnel was that UFOs had, in fact, shut down those missiles. So, yeah, you know, all I'm doing is presenting information from these persons who were there on the scene in one capacity or another. Uh, there are, in some instances, documents confirming what they say. Um, so what what I also offer, if one goes to the Vimeo on-demand site, uh, if one rents or, or purchases the film, you have access to interviews um, with at least, I believe, six of the veterans, persons who uh, I talked to at length over the last few years on video, um, and uh, we've edited down their comments, and you can just watch these people talk in great detail about uh, UFOs hovering over nuclear missiles and then the missiles malfunctioning and things similar to that. So, you know, it's it's a solid dose of factual documented material, and uh, there are very few places uh, online or on television nowadays where one can be guaranteed of getting that uh, in no uncertain terms. Um, so I, I'm hoping that persons, uh, people in large numbers, uh, check out the film. Mm-hmm. Now, um, with the, your witnesses, um, uh, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you and and they uh, just want to share the information. How many of them, were most of them enthusiastic about sharing the information, or it seems like you sought many of these people out. Uh, were they uh, hesitant to come forward, some of them? I, I got the whole range of the uh, responses. Uh, I began seeking out and interviewing Air Force veterans back in 1973. And uh, every every year since then, you know, out of every 10 people I contact, you know, half of them are eager to talk to me. The other half are quite reluctant, and I have to coax them into going on the record. Uh, roughly 98% of the people that I presented in my book and in my articles at my website 
uh, and in the film, they've allowed me to use their names. They, they are happy to be identified, and they think this is important uh, for the public to know about. However, there are even today uh, persons who have important information to provide, and yet they just feel either uh, due to concerns which are unfounded about their retirement pay being jeopardized or uh, just even being ridiculed by their friends and neighbors, uh, don't want to be identified, and I uh, encourage them to to change their minds. But I'm not successful in every respect. Uh, for example, within the last two years, a man who was a missile launch officer at Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1972, I believe it was, I'd have to look at the, the article, uh, said that a UFO actually activated his missile, and down in the launch capsule. Uh, one of his 10 missiles, according to the consoles, was preparing to, to launch, uh, which was terrifying, of course. I mean, if this had, in fact, launched, uh, some city in the Soviet Union would have been, you know, just utterly destroyed, uh, and which would have probably precipitated World War III. And, you know, if you can imagine, put yourself in the shoes of the launch officer and his co-commander who are suddenly confronted with uh, what appears to be an unauthorized launch of one of their nuclear missiles and at the same time receiving a telephone call from their security guards at ground level saying there's a round object hovering over the missile and, you know, which most of these guys had never heard about before. Certainly back in the 70s, they were unaware of UFO activity at nuclear weapon sites, which is increasingly being publicized nowadays. So, I mean, that must have been a baffling, you know, inexplicable um, development in the context of this missile suddenly preparing to launch. And in the case that I'm referring to, after some period of time, uh, the, the uh, everything shut down, but he said all of the systems out at the missile silo were just fried, all the electronics. Hmm. And... Uh, there was an independent confirmation by a jet fighter pilot who was sent to investigate this unknown target on the radar who confirmed the presence of this UFO above the missile site. So very credible, uh, ominous testimony. And yet this person, uh, despite my pleas, uh, has decided at least at this point does not want to be identified publicly. I do have, of course, his service records confirming his position in the Air Force at that base during that year and so on. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, too, as you note in the film, is that the Soviet Union had uh, incidents that were so incredibly similar to what's been reported here in the U.S. So, for instance, in the Soviet Union, they had an incident where there was a UFO sighting uh, at a facility and then uh, missiles be activated and began like a what was it like a launch sequence exactly it was virtually uh, identical to what this gentleman was telling me occurred at malmstrom um actually george knapp uh who is most people know him from coast to coast i'll be on his program by the way this sunday april 24th for the first two hours uh george in i believe it was 1994 was visiting the soviet union uh, he had managed to get interviews with a number of former Soviet military personnel, including a colonel named Sokolov. Uh, his first name's escaping me at the moment. But anyway, uh, Knapp, before he left Sokolov's apartment, uh, was shown these documents that he didn't know what they really represented at the time, but 
they had uh, Top Secret written on uh, the first page of several of these multi-page documents. And amazingly, with the colonel's permission, George just removed the top page, which Top Secret was written on. None of the other pages had that at the top of the page. And he bravely, or foolishly, depending on your point of view, uh, I certainly think it was brave of him to put those documents without that first page in each case, uh, indicating their top secret status. He put them in their su- his suitcase and walked out of the country with them. Um, once they were deciphered or translated, they were referring to, as you said, an incident in Soviet Ukraine in October of 1982, where um, a UFO apparently hovered over this missile base uh, and down in the launch capsule, uh, some number of missiles suddenly went into launch mode and for 15 seconds uh, were preparing to launch. I mean, the the people down in the capsule, the Soviet launch officers, were just utterly terrified. Um, and yet, after 15 seconds, everything returned to normal, and there were subsequently, apparently, um, visits by technical personnel to the base and uh, intelligence personnel to the base uh, telling, you know, uh, apparently they, the, someone on the base had attempted to shoot down the UFO with anti-aircraft weaponry, and uh, there's now a testimony on the record to indicate that uh, the troops on the base were told, if you see a UFO, do not fire on it, um, just stay calm. And so all of this is, you know, slowly leaking out to the West. We're slowly learning that the kinds of problems that we had here at our missile sites Uh, the Soviets experienced the same kind of incidents. So to me, this is very strong evidence that we have an outside third party uh, possessing very advanced technology that throughout the Cold War era um, was periodically monitoring and even even tampering with both American and Soviet missiles. Uh, For what reason, we can only guess. Uh, In my view, uh, whoever are aboard the UFOs are attempting to admonish humankind the nuclear powers that using uh, nuclear nuclear weapons is is suicide in effect and that these provocative actions are designed to make us think twice so to speak that mm-hmm. of course is speculation on my part uh, but uh, i think it's a plausible explanation for the for a scenario anyway for the the uh, available facts now when it comes to george's uh documents now George Knapp is very credible. I, I personally uh, – he's just another one of uh, someone I, I greatly admire and, and I believe is completely trustworthy. However, I've also reported on the MJ-12 document, so there's a lot of monkey business that can go on. Um, how confident do you feel that uh, those documents, uh, Russian documents he snuck out, are uh, 100% legitimate? I have no reason to believe that they're not. Um, he actually, I mean, this, this, this story goes way, way back. Um, he, when he got them out of this, this, uh, well, it was Russia at that point. When he got them out of Russia and realized what he had when the documents were translated, uh, somehow ABC News got wind of this and contacted him and said, work with us on a story. And, you know, he did, and thinking that he would get credit for his part in bringing the documents to the West. Well, he didn't. Uh, ABC News ran a one-hour special uh, back in 1994 uh, in which it was covered in great, at great length. Uh, you know, they investigated the background 
uh, of the documents. They interviewed some of the individuals who were mentioned in the documents, went to Russia and interviewed them on camera. And then at the last minute, stiffed George. They gave him no credit whatsoever for his fundamental, uh, you know, involvement in that that uh, story and breaking that story. Uh, he's quite angry about it even to this day, and as well he should be. He was stiffed by a competing news organization um, who took his data. So, um, you know, George did get the documents out. They are legitimate. I have been encouraging him to write a book now for the last three or four years. I think he has other irons in the fire. Hopefully he will at one day, will. Uh, but the documents, I have um, about 50 pages of them myself, which I'm not authorized to release to the public. George will have to do that. But both he and ABC thoroughly checked out the contents. Uh, you know, they, they interviewed persons who were mentioned in the documents on camera. So it's there's no question that the documents aren't legitimate. Mm-hmm. Now, in the documentary, um, I think it's interesting, one of, going all the way back um, to the 40s, uh, you talk about how um, the government or the military had began to notice these uh, UFOs essentially around nuclear facilities and nuclear, often I, I say it, pronounce it wrong, but... Uh, um, and you talk about a, a document even that talked about uh, that used the term that there was an ominous correlation between these sightings and these nuclear facilities. Um, it seems that early on the military was taking it very seriously. Uh, if one goes to my website ufohastings.com and to the document page, uh, there are documents posted there that go back to 1948 uh, that talk about uh, ongoing over 150 sighting incidents in New Mexico at nuclear labs, either Los Alamos or Sandia Labs in Albuquerque, which were basically the only two nuclear laboratories in the world at that time. And it's clear from the content of the documents that what was going on were ongoing UFO incursions. Uh, described as disc-shaped, cylinder-shaped. Uh, some look like fireballs, but they were maneuvering and so on. Clearly, you've got, uh, you know, these are FBI documents that confirm that uh, very early on in the nuclear age, uh, our, primarily, our primary weapons laboratories were the focal point of ongoing UFO activity. Um, there are other documents on that page that trace the history basically going decade by decade uh things that went on in the 50s 60s and 70s um from the air force cia and fbi all aware very much that this was real and ongoing and that it was considered top secret um unfortunately uh from about 1980 onward uh even though the freedom of information act came into play in the mid 70s and began to be used with increasing frequency uh, the government agencies have just basically ignored legitimate requests through FOIA and denied the release of documents, even the existence of documents. Um, I have, again, dozens and dozens of Air Force officers who were launch officers, targeting officers, and so forth, who say that at this base, at a given time frame, this UFO incident went on. And yet, back in the 80s, when I filed FOIA requests to try to find 
uh, written confirmation, I, I get blanket denial after blanket denial uh, of anything having occurred, even though these primary witnesses, these firsthand eyewitnesses were saying, no, it went on, and, you know, here's all the details. So the Air Force in particular, the CIA, the FBI, uh, they're, they're stonewalling. Um, I, I realized very early on that I wasn't going to have much success. No one would getting uh, documentation relating to these missile shutdowns and missile activations. So I've spent uh, the last four decades concentrating on the witnesses, getting as many of them on the record as possible, um, and hoping that the weight of the evidence, the weight of their testimony, will sway public opinion as to this being real and ongoing. Mm -hmm. So then when uh, the Air Force, of course, had their own UFO investigation and, and closed that in 69, you know, you had Keaton there saying that uh, UFOs did not pose a threat, whereas these uh, documents that you've referenced um, seem to contradict that. Do you believe that Quintanilla was unaware, not made aware of these incidents, or was lying? Uh, Quintanilla, uh, major, I believe at that point, Quintanilla, Hector Quintanilla was the head of the last head of Blue Book. Um, it's quite likely that he was not in the loop for the uh, very sensitive incidents that went on at the missile sites. However, uh, even as early as 1972, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the civilian scientific consultant to Blue Book, wrote in his book, The UFO Experience, that he presented Quintanilla with one case uh, at F.E. Warren Air Force Base in uh, August of 65, in which it was clear that both radar tracking and uh, multiple witness testimony confirmed the presence of UFOs over the missile sites. And Quintanilla, according to Heineck, just dismissively waved his hand and said those were twinkling stars, even though they were tracked on radar and uh, were low enough to the ground that people could see they were disc-shaped and so on. Uh, the documents that relate to those incidents are mentioned in my film. They're now in the public domain. They're up at my website. Uh, so he clearly was in deep denial, Quintanilla was in deep denial, or was intentionally attempting to cover up, or, as I said, in many cases was probably not even in the loop for the very sensitive cases that occurred, even though Blue Book was supposedly the premier investigation. Uh, we now know from uh, a, uh, a memo written by a General Carol Bolander uh, in October 69, uh, roughly the same time that uh, Blue Book closed down, uh, you have General Bolander in this memorandum, which is now available online. Anyone can can review the Bolander memo. He ba he says in black and white that uh, UFO sightings affecting national security were not a part of the Blue Book system, quote unquote. And so the Air Force basically played this sleight of hand, this game whereby. They had great public fanfare. The media picked up on it and just slavishly carried the story as it was presented to them by the Pentagon, purporting that all UFO or all Air Force interest in UFOs rather was at an end with the end of Blue Book. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, General Bolander is circulating this memo to all Air Force commands saying, "Yeah, Blue Book's closing, but." Uh, cases that affect national security UFO incidents are still to be reported through existing channels and describes those channels in the memo. So it was one big con game on the American people 
uh, to try to get them off the backs of the militaries to make them believe that uh, military interest in UFOs had gone away with the closure of Blue Book. It was a very, very successful uh, con game. And um, even today, you have people who are unaware about all of this background uh, citing Blue Book's conclusions and its closure as, as being the final word on UFOs as far as the military, and it's certainly not. It's anything but that. Mm-hmm. So given, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the dubious you know, background when it comes to the MJ-12 files and, and you and, and I both you know, a feeling that there, there was no such organization. Um, however, like you said, you know, there, there was another channel for these national security cases to go to. Where are they? Where have they gone? Do you believe there is some sort of task force or, or, or is it perhaps a foreign technology division that, that is tasked with analyzing this data? The, the people who interviewed, which is to say debriefed uh, the missile personnel that I've talked to over the years, uh, they almost always say they were interviewed by OSI, Office of Special Investigations Agents. Uh, that's an Air Force counterintelligence group. Uh, those files are the ones I was attempting to get on a case-by-case basis in the early 80s. And OSI headquarters just told me point blank that no such documents existed even though officer after officer was telling me, you know, retired officers were telling me uh, we were, uh, you know, the gentleman who uh, interviewed us and swore us to secrecy, made us sign these non-disclosure statements, was an OSI agent. They say that in case after case after case. So that certainly is one repository of files. Um, the OSI, I, I've actually, I'm not going to identify him, but uh, some years ago I made uh, the acquaintance, in fact, later became friends with an, a former OSI agent, and he described to me reviewing hundreds of UFO files at OSI headquarters uh, in roughly the 1968 time frame, I believe it was. Uh, my father actually for four years of his 20 year career in the Air Force was with OSI. Uh, he was not a field agent, but he in fact worked for OSI. And that allowed me, uh, over time to develop certain contacts, uh, persons that were uh, friends of my father who assisted me in some degree to, uh, investigate these things, including exposing, uh, the, the shenanigans of Richard Doty, the OSI agent at Kirtland Air Force Base who was instrumental in forging a number of the documents that are now called MJ-12. Um, he admitted to that to me in an email, by the way, in 2009. I've written about it. Most people don't know about it, but uh, I, I criticized him in, in an article in 2009 uh, regarding the forging of MJ-12 documents, and he wrote back, did not deny it, and said, everything that I did, I did under orders. And so he was acknowledging tacitly, uh, that, in fact, he had forged documents, which we, we've long known. Uh, there were other typewriter analyses uh, done back in the 80s uh, by Brad Sparks and myself and others that confirmed that a number of these documents that supposedly were written at various bases over a 20- or 30-year time frame all had characteristic flaws from typewriter keys that could be traced back to Richard Doty's office at OSI and Kirtland Air Force Base. Um, when compared to a letter that he signed using the same typewriter, it was the smoking gun. So 
most of the people who stupidly, naively, I'll call it, I'll be more kind, <laughs> naively accept the reality of all of this crap online, uh, exciting MJ-12, these people really haven't done their homework. Um, do you believe that Doty really was ordered to, to do that then? I do. Um, you know, um, there's every indication. Uh, Chris Lambright, you should interview him if you've not already. Chris I Lambright. Have, yeah. uh, Chris, Chris has chapter and verse um, the timeline as to when uh, Paul Benowitz, the uh, engineer in Albuquerque who was photographing actually, uh, filming with an eight millimeter uh, camera uh, UFOs above the Monsanto nuclear weapons storage area. That was what brought his him to the attention of OSI at Kirtland Air Force Base. And they immediately began this disinformation campaign to dissuade him that these were UFOs, um, you know, and, and to try to get him to uh, go up to Dulce and supposedly investigate an underground base, which is non-existent. There's no evidence that base exists. Uh, but they pulled him away from the center of the action at Kirtland direct his attention up to uh, Manzano, fed him all of this uh, BS about uh, secret alien treaties with the U.S. government. If, if you, you know, we could talk for 10 hours about all of the details that have emerged. And Linda Mouton Howe, for whatever uh, work she's done on cattle mutilations, which, which is valid work, she, because of her naivete, was thoroughly suckered by Doty and another discredited researcher named Bill Moore, and between Bill, Bill Moore and Richard Doty, they just played rope-a-dope with Linda Howe and Paul Benowitz, fed them all kinds of nonsense that they themselves then spread to the larger world. I mean, we're still 30 years later hearing about crap that was written, uh, forged documents that were typed up by Doty, or uh, Bill Moore has had a hand, had a hand in forging mm -hmm. documents. So, you know... That stuff just irritates the hell out of me. There's so many good, credible, valid leads that need to be investigated, and the people that Linda Howe foisted on the world are still laughing their asses off because they did such a successful job with uh, starting all of this disinformation and, and mm -hmm. you know, folklore right. at this point. So, and that's what's interesting about what you're getting at is that the OSI, the same organization who seems to be doing the real research on UFOs or and collecting this data, is also the organization that released all of this this hoaxed information that has created this giant UFO uh, conspiracy mythology that persists to this day, even though most of the people who who subscribe to this mythology don't know the history of where this came from um which is my compulsion to always be writing about Doty and those affairs as well I, I mean all of that is true and um i've come to the conclusion uh having been in this field for 40 years i mean i started interviewing people in 1973 um some number of people, unfortunately, a large number of people, just want to hear spooky stories around a campfire. That's what they're in this for. Uh, the better, the scarier, the better. You know, whether it has any factual underpinnings or not, they don't care. They just want a scary ghost story, and that's fine. But when you repeat those non-valid, non-documented ghost stories online, and the stories take a life of their own, um, you know, and further pollute the waters. 
then it's just very frustrating for those of us that are attempting to get to the bottom of what the UFO phenomenon is and what the government knows about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the public in a lot of ways, either through uh, the skepticism of uh, a large number of people who refuse to even look at the subject, or on the other hand, the uh, very gullible, over-enthusiastic people that just babble on about every foolish story that they that comes across their computer screen. Um, the, all of these people are just compounding the problem and, and doing the government's work for them, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, to keep us all in the dark. You know, all of the people that are blogging about this, that, and the other online, things that they've never studied, they've never researched, they know nothing about. Every time they pass on a rumor or something that has no credible basis, like MJ-12, or uh, things of that nature, you know, they're just they're doing the government's work for them. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to being in the dark, though, uh, my question is, uh, what do you feel? Do you think the OSI knows much? So, for instance, what I mean by that is we do have a lot of uh, government documents in interactions with UFOs where even uh in these nuclear facilities like you've noted where they will dispatch jets they'll chase the object but the object essentially outmaneuvers the jets um and so we're kind of at a loss they outmaneuver us even if you look at well with george knapp's book about skinwalker ranch they outsmarted the scientists whatever third party there was you know outsmarted the scientists um osi do you think they've they've been able to do much more than collect uh, much more information than is out in the public. Uh, do you think they've been able to figure anything out? Um, my understanding, based on the interaction I've had with uh, a few insiders, as well as you know the the missile uh, veterans who have said that OSI was the group that debriefed them and so on. Uh, my sense of it, and I could be wrong, is that they essentially are a collection agency. They're not doing scientific analysis. Um, they're kicking it upstairs. Um, the defense intelligence agencies, uh, defense intelligence agency, DIA, I know, uh, gets copy of, copies of OSI reports on UFO activity. That's been confirmed to me by more than one uh, inside source. Um, if you look at the big picture, uh, it appears that at least as early as 1953, the group within our government that seems to be at the top of the pile in terms of control is the Central Intelligence Agency. And uh, two very important cases uh, point that out. Uh, you've got back in 1964, the Big Sur case, which I present in my film, uh, where you have two Air Force officers saying that they captured on a, a motion picture film during a nuclear missile test. A UFO came into camera frame, actually circled a dummy nuclear warhead, and shot it down with beams of light. And two of these individuals, Bob Jacobs, uh, Dr. Bob Jacobs, who was the uh, lieutenant in charge of that photographic project, and another man uh, named Major Florence Mansman, later Dr. Mansman, who was a photo analyst at Vandenberg Air Force Base, have both confirmed that that took place in the fall of 1964. What's important is that they say that film was confiscated not by someone in the Air Force, but persons who flashed IDs from the Central Intelligence Agency. Therefore, it was taken and confiscated by CIA, not the military. 
There is a component of CIA called NPIC, the National Photo Interpretation Center, um, which is the most likely destination for that film. Now, that again was 1964. If you move ahead to 1987, you have former FAA supervisor, um, uh, drawn a blank on his name, but uh, the guy who uh, talked about the uh, Alaskan Airlines case mm-hmm. and what public with uh, John somebody, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, uh, he went public when he retired and said, uh, after there were radar tapes uh, and voice tapes of FAA groups and Air Force groups in Alaska uh, talking about the famous Alaskan UFO case involving a Japanese airliner cargo aircraft. Uh, according to this this guy, John, whose last name is Callahan. Frustrating. I'm sorry? Callahan? There you go. John yep. Callahan. Um, he said when he retired that uh, a group of CIA personnel and other government officials, members of Reagan, President Reagan's scientific team, uh, and I think he even said a couple of FBI guys, they all showed up at FAA headquarters, Federal Aviation Administration headquarters, asked to uh, hear the, uh, the audio tapes, looked at the radar tapes of the UFO interaction, and at the conclusion of the meeting, according to FAA Supervisor John Callahan, uh, the lead CIA agent stood up and said, this meeting never happened. We weren't here, and we want all of your tapes. Uh, to his great credit, Callahan gave them all of the tapes in the room, but he knew that he had more down in his office, and he released those to the public when he retired. So again, you know, uh, years, decades after this incident in California uh, at the Big Sur case, you've got, again, not the military coming in and confiscating uh, UFO-related data, but you've got the CIA doing it. So clearly, they seem to be in charge. They're the ones that seem to be the pinnacle of the cover-up. Um, and, you know, if anyone knows about CIA and their history, the odds of us getting any, you know, substantive information from them uh, is zero. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Do you think some of that uh, analysis and could have been formed out uh, to, for instance, think tanks uh, with defense contractors? Um, in which case that's they could... Ale- uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, that's been alleged, certainly. Um, you know, it, it would be the logical thing to do. I mean, the CIA is an intelligence group, even though they've got a scientific intelligence component to them. One would think that if we have hardware, if, if UFOs have crashed and been recovered, or we have other credible data about them, you would think you would farm them out to organizations, even corporations that would have, you know, the technical expertise, the, the personnel who might be able to either um, duplicate the technology or at least be able to analyze in a meaningful way the technology that would not necessarily uh, fall within the area of expertise of an intelligence group. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, again, you, you, we're getting into the to, the to the murky area where lots of claims are made about this, that, or the other company uh, being involved with UFO uh, research on the part or at the behest of the U.S. government. But I'm unaware of very, very few cases that can be credibly documented. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to talk about, getting them back into some of your discoveries, which are great, is um, uh, the Rendlesham Forest. So 
uh, you know, my listeners have heard a lot from Holt and Nick Pope and others talking about the Rendlesham Forest case in, what, 89, um, when the UFOs were seen there, and Colonel Holt, who was a deputy base commander, uh, one of the things he said he saw, which you document also happened in the Soviet Union, was uh, an object beaming into uh, the weapons munition area, where at the time I don't believe it was known, uh, although that now you can tell me uh, if this has been confirmed or not, that uh, secretly there were nuclear uh, weapons there, correct? Um, the weapons storage area at the RAF Bentwaters Base, which was leased by the U.S. Air Force, it was, according to several of my military sources, including a high-level NATO nuclear weapons security specialist, retired Air Force colonel, I won't identify him. Uh, he said, he told me, as did these other people, it was the largest uh, nuclear bomb depot, tactical bomb depot in Western Europe. Um, if it had missiles there, cruise missiles for bombers, that's not yet been confirmed, but I know it had uh, nuclear bombs, battlefield nukes, tactical nukes that were uh, to be uh, flown by uh, F-16s, actually, um, into Europe if the Soviets had invaded Europe, and they would be augmenting our forces on the battlefield. So that's what the RAF Bentwaters nuclear weapons storage area had within it. And this same colonel, who again was very high level in NATO's nuclear weapons security apparatus, uh, told me in approximately 1994, that uh, after uh, the UFO hovered over that facility and sent down laser-like beams of light, uh, I was told by this colonel that two bombs were selected from one of the bunkers and flown aboard a C-5A aircraft to Kirtland Air Force Base, uh, the nuclear weapons analysis laboratory they have there. Uh, he claims to have seen the uh, files relating to the transfer of the weapons. He couldn't tell me why these two particular bombs were selected. Maybe they had visible damage to them from the beam. Uh, he didn't know one way or the other. When I asked him uh, what the results were of the analysis at the lab, he said he did not was not privy to that information. Uh, he did not have a report as to what, uh, if any damage was found in these bombs. Um, the other thing that, that's presented in my film that is of great importance is uh, the testimony for the first time anywhere of the two U.S. Air Force air traffic controllers who were at the uh, Bentwaters Air Traffic Control Tower the night that Colonel Halt was in the woods. Uh, back in about 2006 or seven, uh, it occurred to me that I had never read any testimony from the air traffic controllers in any of the literature or articles or anything I've seen online. And so I sought them out, identified them, lo located them, and got both of these guys, Ike Barker and Jim Carey, uh, to go on the record. And at first I had them on audio tape, and then in 2012 I got them on videotape. It's the videotaped interviews that appear in the film, of course. And what they say in no uncertain terms is that they tracked a bonafide UFO the night that Colonel Halt was in the woods. It crossed their radar scope, which had a 120-mile diameter. It crossed it in less than two sweeps, which would have been approximately eight seconds. And uh, it then hovered outside uh, their window of the air traffic control tower. They could see it hovering some distance away above a water tower on the base. 
And Ike Barker said that it looked like a basketball. It was an orange beer. It had windows around its equator, its center, that seemed to be portholes with a yellowish-orange light emanating from the portholes. And after this object covered for a few seconds, it then reversed its course and on the way out of the area made a sharp angled 90 degree turn. And Jim Carrey talks on camera about, <laughs> you know, he just said, you know, that can't be one of ours. Um, and so what you have for the first time, despite years and years of all these, uh, you know, foolish skeptical explanations about Halt and his team seeing a lighthouse beam, you've got finally the two controllers who track the UFO on radar going on the record and saying, this is what took place. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, the, I'm sure the diehard skeptics will somehow try to punch holes in these guys' story because they can't bring themselves to admit they've been wrong. But this, for the first time, proves that you had bona fide UFOs flying around Bentwaters on the night that Halt was in the woods. Mm -hmm. Their descriptions are just uh, amazing. And it's great that you have two people. It's not just one guy by himself. It's two of these guys who were there together witnessing the same thing um, that makes that especially remarkable. I agree. And, uh, you know, I kicked myself that I didn't, uh, you know, the thing, the incident happened back in 1980 and I was investigating all these other nuclear weapons cases here in the States. And it took me so long for the light bulb to go off and go, oh, you know, we haven't gotten the testimony of the controllers yet. So I'm glad I finally got them on, on camera to, you know, add their testimony to the database mm -hmm. um that you know if i can plug the film again i think the, sure. the segment where these con controllers are talking is worth the price of admission itself so to mm -hmm. speak um again you know the film is the culmination of 40 years of research on my part you can't cram but so much in 45 minutes or 40 what is it 48 minutes of film uh, but one, you know, can also go to my website and look at all the articles I've written, a couple of dozen articles, if not more, describing many of these incidents in great detail. Uh, those are available. My book's available, in which I can go into great detail about any given case that you simply couldn't put into a, you know, 45-minute film. So hopefully this will kick the ball down the road a little bit. Uh, slowly but surely, word of mouth will make this film, you know, great, widely accessible to a great number of people around the planet. Because, mm -hmm. you know, all all modesty aside, I think this work is important and needs to be publicized as much as possible. I agree. I think you can just randomly choose any five minutes of this documentary, and that five minutes alone will justify the the ten dollars to to purchase. Uh, not just rent, because you're going to want it for reference. So to purchase the and download the the moot the film, it's it's excellent. It's so great. I'm so glad that it got finished and that it's out there. And I'm more than happy to help promote it. And I'll continue to do so uh, as long as I have an interest in this field. Well, I I certainly appreciate that, Alejandro. And um, if I can help you again and uh, any way to publicize this, please get back to me and let me know. Yeah, will do. I I still have so many questions, but we're pretty much out of time. Uh, I hope that you have a great time with George Knapp. Actually, a lot of my listeners um, will have heard that already by the time they hear this interview, because this interview will go up on Monday and. Uh, 
you're going to be on uh, what Sunday night or Saturday night? So, uh, well, it's it's Sunday evening into early Monday, depending on what time okay. zone you're in. And, and um, I have the first two hours with George Knapp uh, on April 24th. Uh, which again, depending on which time zone you're in, maybe uh, the 25th. Okay, yeah, great. And then um, this will be posted on the 25th. So the 25th will be Robert Hastings Day out there. All of those people who listen to both shows will be able to get hours and hours of hearing you talk about the documentary. Then they'll go purchase it and watch it and uh, share it with their friends, we hope. So thank you so much for being on the show again. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us again. And thank you so much to Robert Hastings for coming and joining uh, us for uh, all of this amazing information and sharing this great data. I mean, I think what he's doing is invaluable. It's one of the best things going on in this field. And I'm very excited that he was able to post this documentary. And like I said earlier, it's something you all have to see. Uh, If you go to Vimeo, It's uh, vimeo.com forward slash UFOs and nukes is a site. That's where you can go watch his video, uh, the entire documentary, and also those shorter interviews that he was talking about. You can find them all at uh, vimeo.com forward slash UFOs and nukes. If you Google Vimeo and UFOs and nukes, you'll find it. Or if you go to openminds.tv, or if you're at Blog Talk Radio and you look in the description, you'll have the link there. Uh, to go check this out also. I recommend everybody pay 10 bucks and download it so you can use it for reference in the future or show friends and family because uh, this is really important stuff. I mean, these are the military guys. Uh, when you see them, they're just regular guys who uh, experienced extraordinary things. And I think this makes an extremely strong case for uh, some sort of outside interest in our nuclear facilities nuclear nuclear someone was making fun of me before because i said nuclear my girlfriend makes fun of me all the time because i say nuclear 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 i can do this but uh, anyway check this out because it's really important and and awesome information and uh, i'm just can't say enough of good things about what robert hastings has done You can also go to his website, ufohastings.com, to find out more about him. He mentioned the CNN uh, had covered and posted his national press conference at the National Press Club on on UFOs and nukes uh, from a few years ago. And you can find that at his website, including uh, information on how to get his book. If you don't have it, you got to get it. So lots of really good stuff, UFO Hastings and uh, Vimeo.com forward slash UFOs and nukes. Thank you so much, Robert Hastings, for being on the show. We've got more exciting shows coming up. More exciting things that are happening with Open Minds are that we have all of the 2016 International UFO Congress lectures up to be able to be seen uh, on our video portal. So if you go to our video portal... You'll be able to see all of these videos for streaming. So they're like on demand. The best thing to do is for $5.99, you could subscribe. uh, That's a month and get access to all of them. We've got uh, a couple of the years all up. We have a few videos from other years. We have 
couple Travis Walton videos. We have the Bob Lazar video. We have Jacques Vallée. We have all of these videos. We have tons of videos up there that you can watch. Uh, so for a few bucks, you can have access to tons and tons of lectures. We're posting more every day. So within the next few weeks, we're going to have absolutely every UFO Congress lecture video that we have filmed in the last six years up there. Literally hundreds of videos up there that you'll have access to. Uh, so go start looking because you're not even going to get a quarter of the way through by the time we have them all up there. But some really amazing stuff. I mean, uh, you've heard a lot of these people on the show, but their lectures, including their videos and their PowerPoints, are just uh, – some of this is just stuff you've never seen before and maybe you never will. I mean, we had a congressman, a uh, former congressman at our last uh, conference. He was in a panel, the panel which was amazing. You heard Nick Pope talk about it. Nick Pope talk about how important he felt this panel was. But we have that panel posted uh, along with Congressman uh, Cook. That was his name's uh, um, information up there. So uh, his whole lecture up there. So lots of really cool, cool stuff. Lloyd Pye, who unfortunately has passed away. We've got his lecture up there. Just a lot, a lot of stuff. So go to openminds.tv. You'll see a link for the video portal. And over the next few weeks uh, and months, you'll see us advertising that much more because it's, for, it's a very inexpensive way to get access to a lot of very important information and we're excited about it because we're excited to share this information we uh, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars literally i mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on this conference and to film these videos and our purpose is to share this information some people complain oh but you're charging you know what we're charging because we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we're hoping maybe one day, if we're lucky, we'll break even. Um, but I don't think it's so much. Just like I have no problem giving uh, Robert Hastings $10. I personally have spent thousands of my own dollars uh, in this field, and I have no problem paying $10, $20 or whatever for the books for these lecturers uh, so they can recoup some of their costs because uh, they spend a lot of their own time and money doing this. And uh, you know what? God forbid they should make a little bit of money um, for all of their hard work. They're still not going to make, you know, what it would be worth uh, that, that all these people do this work. So I, I, I think the cost is minimal. If you have a problem with it, then, you know, just check out our free stuff because we got plenty of that stuff. But you're going to be missing out on some really, really good stuff. Uh, so go check out our video portal. And other than that, we have a new UFO report up. Uh, also, if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, you should because we update you on all of this stuff that's going on, including YouTube videos of UFO photos from our archives. So check that out. So Michael Klein, you know, our video guy is going into our photo archives. If you uh, had the Open Minds magazine, you're familiar. We used to print these in our magazine, but he's going and making videos uh, that give you some information about these sightings as well. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, so all of this you'll be able to find out at openminds.tv. Otherwise, we have uh, for the foreseeable future, more interviews scheduled for the podcast here. I'm sure you're all very happy about that since we're so um, 
um, you know, schizophrenic. We're here and there during the holidays in the conference, so it's nice to have some consistency with some shows coming every week, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the wonderful open and close music, and uh, thank you to Martin of Podcast UFO for joining us with the news, and thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Adios, muchachos.